Hi, I'm Anthony Fury. Thanks for joining us on Full Comment. Our guest today is Aaron O'Toole, leader of the Conservative Party of Canada. What are his policies? What is his vision for Canada? We unpack it all with the man who could become Canada's next Prime Minister. Aaron O'Toole has served in the Canadian Armed Forces, worked as a lawyer, and became an MP in 2012, serving as a cabinet minister in the previous Conservative government. He joins us now. Aaron O'Toole, welcome to the program. Thanks very much for joining us. Great to be with you, Anthony. Right off the bat, you're going around the country, you're saying hi to Canadians, you're introducing your platform, and why Canadians should vote for you. Why should Canadians consider Aaron O'Toole as their next Prime Minister and their Conservative candidate as their local selection? Well, because after the last 15 difficult months for our country, the the health crisis of COVID-19, the economic crisis of COVID-19, the country deserves a plan to get the country back on its feet. We have Canada's recovery plan, a five-point plan to do that. And they deserve an ethical team that are going to put the needs of the country and its people first, not the special interests, not the constant cycle of of scandal and cover-up that we've seen from Mr. Trudeau. And the country is quite divided after six years of Justin Trudeau. So I'm also offering a vision to bring Canada together and make sure we're tackling the issues and having an economic recovery in all sectors of our economy and in all regions of the country. That's really what Canada's recovery plan is all about. And that's what I'm talking about from coast to coast to coast. What do you mean by Canada being divided under Trudeau? I know originally Justin Trudeau liked to sell himself as the great unifier. The the name of his autobiography was Common Ground that he released when he was first running for office. He said he wanted to bring people together. I, I have a sense of what you mean, though. I do feel like people are are divided on a number of these, these issues. I don't know what to call them, culture war issues or what have you. What do you mean by Canada being divided under Trudeau? And, and how will you provide the solution to that? I mean literally that, Anthony. Our confederation is at risk under Justin Trudeau. And I'll use an example. When I was in cabinet in the last year of the Conservative government, uh, the Bloc Québécois, the separation party from Quebec, was not an official party in Ottawa. Now, it's it's the third party. It has more seats than the NDP. There were no separation movements in Alberta and Saskatchewan. There are now. There are literally people giving up on the country because of Mr. Trudeau's kind of Ottawa knows best ideological approach. I often talk about my first public event when I was running for leader. My first question in Nisku, Alberta came from a Canadian Armed Forces veteran who thanked me for my service. And then he said, Mr. O'Toole, I've served 29 years for Canada. and I'm giving up on the country because of what Mr. Trudeau's done to my province. Wow, that punched me right in the face, Anthony. A veteran who had Canada on his sleeve for his entire career was losing faith in our great country because of a politician in Ottawa. So we have to tackle this. I'm a a patriot. I think Canada is a great country. We have our challenges. We have our inequities. But you have to love your country to dig deep, to to build it, and to to address those challenges. And uh, I want to bring the country together. Canada's recovery plan will do that. And I'll tell you, National unity is is a real risk if Mr. Trudeau wins again. So last time around, we did not have this new political party called the Maverick Party, where there are some people, mostly in, in, in Central Canada, Western Canada, who are saying we're really upset because of, of Western alienation. What is your message to people who are very upset with Western issues and you're saying, well, no, please, you know, we are the solution, the Conservative Party? Well, I'm upset and have been talking about this for years. In fact, my... My, my speech to that veteran in Nisku, Alberta, Anthony, 
was because I launched my campaign to lead the Conservative Party, not in Bowmanville, Ontario, where I'm very proud to have grown up, but in Calgary. I went to address those issues right away. My first phone call with Justin Trudeau, uh, hours after I won the leadership, he tried to make it sort of congrats, hope the family's well. I said, Prime Minister, there's something I want to talk about is Western alienation. And what what anyone that is so frustrated, like that veteran in Iskew, don't let your frustration lead you to make a dumb decision. And I said that, dumb, because you'll help Mr. Trudeau. So the frustration comes from from Justin Trudeau's attacks on the energy sector, his kind of, you know, arrogance in terms of forgetting about Western Canada, even missing Alberta when he was celebrating Canada's 150th uh, anniversary as a country. There's a sense that Mr. Trudeau doesn't care about uh, large parts of the of the country. I do. I've lived and served in all parts of it. And so the way to 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 tackle that is not to let your frustrations bubble over and in, incidentally help Justin Trudeau. It's getting behind our Conservative Party, Canada's recovery plan, and using our incredible democracy to get rid of a prime minister who is divisive, who is unethical, who has no plan for the future. And that's what I'm offering. What are some of the things in the platform, in your recovery plan, that will deal with a lot of those Western challenges, particularly, of course, the oil and gas sector? A lot of people very frustrated at the Liberal government's position towards that. Justin Trudeau's gaffe, or, or maybe it wasn't a gaffe, maybe it was what he really feels about how you need to phase out that industry. Well, he's had several cabinet members, uh, either just before they were elected or since, talk about transitioning that entire industry, transitioning hundreds of thousands of people taking away one of the biggest drivers of our economic success in the last uh, few generations, Anthony. So my first trip, once COVID allowed me to travel again, I went out to Calgary and announced an equalization rebate type program by fixing fiscal stabilization. We need to, uh, we need to make sure that the equalization process is fair by addressing the fact that when resource revenues drop off dramatically, you shouldn't have provinces like Alberta, Saskatchewan, Newfoundland, and Labrador continuing to overpay into that system. So I announced a, an equalization rebate. I've also said in our first 100 days, we will eliminate the ideological attacks Mr. Trudeau leveled on, on Western Canada, Bill C-69, making it impossible not just to get a pipeline approved, to get any large project approved in any sector under this this program it's led to led to literally 160 billion dollars in jobs and investment leaving canada before COVID. uh we would reverse his point on the the tanker van we would stand up against illegal rail blockades that were targeting critical pieces of of infrastructure uh, uh hurting working canadians so we have a very ambitious agenda to address some of the destructive elements of the economic policy of Mr. Trudeau that has led to division. I'm also very proud of our energy sector and its leadership on environmental social governance, ESG, and indigenous partnership leadership. And, you know, Suncor, for example, spends about $900 million a year through indigenous-led supply chain companies. When Mr. Trudeau cancels willy-nilly projects, he's actually hurting indigenous economic reconciliation. So I'm going to really try and talk about the positives of our national resource sector. And I think the world, if they want to consume any type of resource, energy, rare earth minerals for a Tesla, uh, softwood lumber, 
Canada should be the ESG leader in, in the world, and I will stand up for that on, on global trade discussions. Aaron, let me also ask you, though, two issues here when it comes to division. We've got uh, Canada's First Peoples and Prosperity, of course, you referencing that. And then we have recently this Don't Celebrate Canada Day. We got to tear down statues of Sir John A. Macdonald, even one of the famous five, one of the ladies in the person's case. What is your message about that? Well, my message has been clear. I think you have to love the country if you're going to dig down and commit to making it even better to tackle these issues. I said this in a public speech. I invited the media into our last caucus meeting before the summer, where I said we should celebrate Canada Day. Canada, in my view, is the greatest country in the world. Are we perfect? No. But millions of people have come to build Canada based on the liberties we provided, the opportunity we provide. And if you measure us up alongside any other country, I think we fare well and we care to make ourselves better. So if we're really going to tackle the frustration and, and pain that the the graves at former residential school sites evoke in us, in Kamloops and Cowessess, I visited Cowessess, I've spoken to the chiefs, we have to recommit to what our country truly is, which is an, a, a land of opportunity for everyone and, and make sure we're ensuring that it lives up to that. And I'll, I'll tell you, you know, Anthony, I've been talking about this this idea of presentism, judging the past by the moral standards of today, that is a slippery slope. I said that years ago when Mr. Trudeau took the name off of the Langevin building, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission itself said, you have to learn from your history in order to go forward and address wrongs and, and injustices of the past. In fact, at the core of reconciliation, Anthony, is reconcile past with present and future. So I love Canada. I want it to uh, commit completely to Indigenous reconciliation. That's why my first question in the House of Commons was on one of the calls to action in the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, which is why after the horrific Kamloops uh, grave discovery, I said, let's move immediately on calls to action 71 to 76 before Canada Day. Instead, Mr. Trudeau just wants to cancel Canada Day. It, it appears leave the flags at half-mast forever. That's not how you build up a country. We've got to be proud of who we are and recommit to address wrongs of the past and address the inequalities today. And that's why I'm in politics, not to tear down, but to build up. Speaking about evocative images, horrific images, we are seeing those images out of Afghanistan right now people clinging to planes as they take off on the tarmac just a lot of a lot of human tragedy happening stories we're hearing a lot of people afraid particularly women in afghanistan how should this situation have been handled by prime minister justin trudeau how should canada be handling it right now you know anthony this has been heartbreaking to watch seeing people literally falling off of or out of aircraft that they're scrambling to get on to escape the, the coming horrors the, they fear of the Taliban. Uh, women and girls will likely be subjugated back to uh, what we were there to fight. And, and it's heartbreaking for military families. Uh, and I've spoken to many veterans I know that served in Afghanistan that feel they left a part of themselves there. And sadly, this is another example of just Justin Trudeau, the hollow prime minister. He never shows leadership, never follows up, just reads things that are given to him. There's no sincerity in Justin Trudeau. 
this has been an issue that I've tried to advocate on for five years. You may know this, Anthony, your colleague, Joe Warmington, myself, uh, several veterans of the military have been advocating for left behind interpreters that didn't know about the ability to find security in Canada. We got one gentleman, James Akam, home, and that was due to the really the promotion of, of Joe Warmington and the fact that I was able to deal with John McCallum, the first Liberal immigration minister. And I said, let's do this because it's right. Forget the politics. Right. These people are at risk because they served us. Trudeau squandered five years, Anthony. And in the last six months, we knew the Biden pullout was going to lead to more uncertainty, put people at risk. We should have the back of anyone who helped our aid workers, our Canadian armed forces, our diplomats. If they're at risk because they had Canada's back, my goodness, we should have theirs. What should we be doing moving forward, given the fact that there's now a vacuum in this region, a security vacuum, something of a power vacuum? We already know that there's a lot of forces in the world paying attention, knowing, you know, looking at what they can do to maybe have a say in what happens in that region next. How should Canada be thinking about Afghanistan moving forward? Well, I think into that vacuum could emerge Canada and its allies. We have to work very closely with the United States, for example. But if we work closely with NATO, which had a presence in the Afghanistan campaign, to provide a bit of certainty with respect to security for persecuted people that supported Canada and other NATO partners, making sure that uh, assistance and aid is not diverted by the, the Taliban and the, and the new regime coming in place. And I do think the U.S. is is reassessing how they can help because they realize this vacuum has led to some chaos. The, the, How do the you issue, do that, make sure the assistance and aid is not diverted if Taliban totally rules the roost? Well, you deliver it directly. <laughs> and look, um, this vacuum is caused because of a withdrawal, but from an aid and, and uh, a, a civil assistance uh, le level, uh, countries could exert that, that pressure, either supporting through border locations or directly. The issue is Justin Trudeau's phone is not going to ring, Anthony, because none of our allies take him seriously. He goes to other countries for photo ops and to, to dance around. I will go to fight for our interests and our values. And I've served with other countries um, during my time in the military. I did some training and work with the U.S., with, with other NATO partners. I worked on international trade in the private sector. Wouldn't it be refreshing to have a serious prime minister that has real-world experience has a commitment and will actually get people calling us for our participation. So this is, I think, the contrast. Mr. Trudeau, always about himself, never about Canadians. Um, I, will be, I will be serving as a prime minister to bring people together and to make sure a serious Canada is once again there on the world stage. While we're on the topic of foreign affairs and also Canada sort of stepping up to an issue that it needs to, when it comes to China, I know a lot of our allies a lot of people, experts in security, national security, have been calling on Canada to do things a little differently when it comes to China. At a recent G7 meeting in Cornwall, there was discussion over that. It, it, it did result in uh, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau uh, making a statement at the United Nations on, I think, on, on the Uyghur genocide issue. What do we need to do, though, with China moving forward? And what would you as Prime Minister do? Well, Justin Trudeau has been completely out of step with our allies and really with common sense for his six years as prime minister. He started off when he was running for prime minister saying China was the country he most admired when he was asked 
The country I most admire, Anthony, is the country I've been serving since I graduated high school in one way or another, 12 years in the military and then trying to work as a volunteer and later as a parliamentarian. Um, that will be the big difference between the two of us. And on China, whether it's Huawei, I've been saying for five, six years now that Huawei should never be part of our 5G critical infrastructure. It was the conservative opposition, Anthony, that brought a motion in the House to declare the genocide towards the Uyghur minority population in Xinjiang. Justin Trudeau didn't even show up for the vote. So Canada has a proud record in, in defending human rights. It was it was the Mulroney government that led the Commonwealth on, on apartheid. And now we have Justin Trudeau not even showing up for votes uh, on, on the dignity of people. So I'm going to make international human rights uh, a major point of our foreign policy. I think Canada expects us to to show respect for for people at home and abroad, and and we're deeply rooted in our in our values in terms of respecting democracy, the rule of law, human rights, equality. I think that needs to be center place, a, a centerpiece, and. The almighty buck that Mr. Trudeau seems obsessed with with China is not worth it at the sacrifice of our values. And and it, Canadian workers have also been hurt by China in terms of steel, aluminum. So I created the Canada-China Parliamentary Committee before I became leader. It's been an area that I think uh, Trudeau has been offside on for some time. So we need to get, get on the side with our allies, stand up to communist China in a serious way. What sort of specifics in terms of China being involved in the Canadian economy uh, would you do as prime minister? There's talk during the previous election about withdrawing from the Asian Investment Infrastructure Bank, uh, concerns about whether or not there should be restrictions or just flat-out legislation and rules against Chinese state-owned enterprises making purchases in Canada. Yes, we're, we have in our Canada Canada's recovery plan, Anthony, a direct position on that. The default position will be no to any takeover by Chinese state-owned enterprise. And you'll have to, it'll be a default, uh, default presumption that you'll have to, to actually reverse in order to do a transaction like that. Uh, we would, again, commit to withdrawing from the Asian Infrastructure Bank, the, 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 one, the, the Belt and Road Initiative, uh, various things that the communist regime in, in China does is really an extension of its foreign policy and we shouldn't be partnering on their infrastructure work as, a, as an extent to that, when we've got a lot of infrastructure that needs support here at home, Anthony. And Huawei, of course, um, the fact that Mr. Trudeau is the only leader within the Five Eyes group of countries, our closest allies, that hasn't said that Huawei can't be a critical part of our 5G, our Internet of Things economy in the future, just shows how deeply out of step he is with, with our allies and, and our security posture. Aaron, in your platform, in the recovery plan, there's also a lot of sections, of course, on the economy, on affordability issues. Inflation recently reports out from Statistics Canada saying inflation at about 3.7%. Lots of concerns about the price of groceries. Now, Justin Trudeau, as he's going around campaigning, he's saying he's making life more affordable for Canadians. But you beg to differ and you say you have a better option, a better plan. Yes, Canada's recovery plan is about getting wages up, getting people back to work in all sectors, and a downward pressure on prices and more relief for Canadians. Recently, Mr. Trudeau said he doesn't sweat monetary policy, doesn't concern himself about it because it doesn't impact families. Wow, you know, totally disconnected by the fact that inflation is pricing families out of 
their home, out of their community, the rising price of groceries, of gas, of we're in a housing crisis. This is driven by inflation. And inflation, in part, is being caused by the excessive spending of Justin Trudeau, that because of the election, he keeps just extending that spending with no real plan to get people working, no real long-term plan for prosperity. So we have that in Canada's recovery plan. We're going to get the spending under control as we get the economy back on its feet. And for us, it's all sectors of the economy, economy Anthony, the, the Liberals, the NDP, the Greens and the Bloc, they're against certain jobs, you know, natural resources. Uh, they don't really stand up for small businesses. Justin Trudeau once described them as tax cheats. I want every cylinder in our economic engine firing because we do have some challenges coming out of COVID, about half trillion dollars worth of debt Mr. Trudeau's accumulated over his time, high unemployment in some areas, and then a shortage of, of the workforce in others. So we have a five-point plan, a million jobs in a year, tough anti-corruption laws, national leadership on mental health, self-sufficiency in vaccines and other critical items, and balancing the budget over the course of the next decade. That will put an upward pressure on paychecks and and uh, hopefully some downward pressure and some relief on the spiraling cost of living. Aaron, you just said the word COVID, and I think that's the first time either of us have actually said that word during that conversation. I go, well, maybe that's kind of refreshing. Maybe that suggests this is in the rearview mirror now, and we've done a lot. We brought in the precautions. Vaccination rate is, is very high across the country. So, okay, good. It's in the rearview mirror. But we do hear talk about fourth wave, uh, a lot of concerns about what's happening just around the corner in September as, as the campaign continues or later on October, November. Do you support more restrictions? Should cases increase? Should situation worsen? Do you support a subsequent lockdown? I support using the tool and all of the learnings we have from the various waves of COVID, Anthony. And this is where I think the federal government has really fallen down. Using daily rapid screening and testing, which we are on my campaign, for example, can actually give you a lot of certainty to keep the economy open with, you know, testing, with mask usage and, and certain rules. Let's use all the tools. I think this has been, as I said, the most frustrating part that Justin Trudeau was late on getting the rapid tests so integrated into our society. I have a sister in England who's, whose kids were sent weekly rapid tests to go to their schools and things like this because they had a national supply. The UK Tory government there showed leadership on vaccines, leadership on rapid testing, getting it out, pushing it out. We need to use all those measures because we need to try and minimize any further disruption. I, I talk to small business owners all the time, Anthony. So many in hospitality and services and travel tourism are hanging on by a thread. So our recovery plan will give them some direct help but we also need to avoid as much as possible any other further disruption. And I, I'm a firm believer, I've been calling for a national rollout and, and ownership of the rapid test issue for over a year, Anthony. Um, we need leadership and, and Mr. Trudeau has been absent. We've always been late throughout this crisis. But I think a year ago, I, I would have been fully with you there. Now we're talking about, okay, we're, we're into 2021 in the fall of that. How long does one do this rapid testing for when we're at the point where we've got quite a few chief medical officers of health in provinces across the country saying we're, we're in the learning to live with COVID phase. Do, do we live with rapid testing for, for many months to come? 
when there's outbreaks, right? So right now we see little pockets of outbreaks. We saw some in in the interior of British Columbia, for example. That's where you boom deploy the t- the tools, get some masking back in, get some rapid testing, and contact trace like like a like an army, you know, in terms of tracking everything. Then you can contain it because you're right. We are in a much different situation. We have vaccine rates up approaching herd immunity. And that's that's awesome that a lot of Canadians went out and got the jab, did their part. My wife and I publicized ours, publicized our experience. I, we, we caught COVID in the second wave. So uh, let's use those tools. But of course, they're more isolated, Anthony, because at this point, we have to really jump on little flare-ups um, before they, they become a problem. And that's where you, boom, implement. But I'll tell you, I held up a rapid test on a video months ago because most Canadians have never even seen one. Other countries have deployed millions of them. But because Mr. Trudeau was about five months later than most European countries on even approving one at the Health Canada stage, we're, we're once again behind in their deployment. What are the priorities? You get into office, you're elected prime minister. What's the day one task? Anyone who wants to know that about me, Anthony, flip open Canada's recovery plan. Jobs is number one, a million in a year, highly impacted sectors help a, an incentive to work, an employment boost, in fact, a real boost for folks that are chronically unemployed. The second pillar, accountability. We've got to end the cycle of cover-up and corruption in Mr. Trudeau's Ottawa. Third is a national leadership position on mental health supports, uh, tackling some of the shadow pandemics like addiction and, and domestic violence increases. This is, as you know, mental health has been very important to me in my work with veterans. Fourth, building up domestic capacity. And fifth, getting our budget back to balance. So really, I want the country working. So the first pillar is the first pillar for a reason, Anthony. We have to get rid of the ideological barriers to work, like I said, Bill C-69 and some of the other liberal uh, policies of the last few years. And I value all workers. And that's why I'm reaching out to union leaders, uh, Indigenous entrepreneurs. I want to return to valuing work. Whether you're getting up early to drive your cab in Mississauga or open your small business in Surrey, there's a nobility in that. And we have to change the paradigm of reliance and just ex- extending the the CERB and programs. All the other parties would like the CERB to become a universal basic income. That, that would hollow out our future and it would change kind of the self-reliance that people know Canada for, the, 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 in, the immigrant business folks that within a d- decade come with very little and then are employing five other people. It's That's the story of Canada, and I think we have to get back to that. Aaron O'Toole, thanks very much for joining us on the podcast today. Much appreciated. All the best to you. Great to be back with you, Anthony. Full Common is a post-media podcast. I'm Anthony Fury. This episode was produced by Andre Pru with theme music by Bryce Hall. Kevin Libin is the executive producer. You can subscribe to Full Comment on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can help us by giving us a rating or a review and by telling your friends about us. Thanks for listening.